Romans chapter 6, and we said the main point was that sin no longer has power over us. Salvation has freed us from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin. And uh, we have been placed uh, where we once were, as we saw in Romans 5, we were once were in Adam and in that realm and in sin where death reigned and that now we have been placed in a new realm in Christ. And, and with that new realm comes a hatred for sin. Why? Because it is contradictory. It contradicts the new realm in which we live. It, it is not like the, new, the, the character of our king. It's contrary to who we are in Christ. And we said that, 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 that we have been saved to walk in a newness of life. And that's really what we begin to see even today, uh, especially in verse 4. This newness of life that we are called to live in. That we, we are to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And we said that this builds off of Romans 5.20, where grace abounded, uh, where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. And so the, the, the wrong conclusion was, well, if that's the case, then let's just go do whatever we want to do. Let's just go live however we want to live. And, and interesting enough, as we said, Paul doesn't back away in answering their question. Paul doesn't back away from his gospel that's grace alone. He doesn't say, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You, you kind of misunderstood. It's like it's 90% grace, 10%. You know, he doesn't back away from his gospel. Justification is by grace alone, through faith alone. But, but what he deals with is how do we now live as believers in this new realm in which we exist. And, and, and listen, this week I was uh, as thought about the sermon as leading into this point number two, which, by the way, it's, it's, I want to give it to you because I want to read a couple of verses outside of Romans to help us understand even Romans, but in point number two, the first point was their power, that we've been freed from the power of sin. The second point Paul makes in Romans 6, verses 3 and 4 is, through faith we have been united to Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, resurrection pictured through baptism, and thus we are to walk in newness of life. You see it right there in verse 4, newness of life. And this was a common theme for Paul, this was a common uh, point for Paul. He, he writes in Philippians 1, verse 27, listen to this. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In, in chapter 2 of Philippians Verse 14, right after he gives this, really what's the core, the central idea of Philippians, the humility of, of Christ in emptying himself and, and on our behalf and taking on flesh and the humility there. He, goes, he talks about working out your salvation in verse 12, for it is God who is at work in you, both the will and the work for his good pleasure. Verse 13, look what it says in verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. You continue on into Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. 
he's talking about set your minds, do not set your mind on earthly things. He says, why? For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. All throughout Paul's letters, Paul speaks to this newness of life that a believer is to live in. You have been transferred from one realm that was ruled by sin and death, that old Adam. You've been transferred into a new realm that is Christ. All throughout Paul's letters, I think some 73 times, he references in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. That's, where I, that's the context for what we said last week with the idea of hating our sin. Why do we hate our sin? Because it's contradictory to who we are in Christ. You're dead to that. You're not in that realm anymore. Totally contradictory to who you are in Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here in, in verses 3 and 4. He says, or do you not know? What Paul means there literally is you ought to know this. When he says that, it's almost a rhetorical question. You ought to know this. You're a Christian. You ought to know this. That all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that... As Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Paul summarizes here our conversion to Christ, this, this new life. And in order, listen, in order to be transferred, we're going to see this in Romans 7. In order to be transferred into this new realm, death had to take place. He's going to say in Romans 7, he's going to compare, he's going to pair, compare a marriage and how do you end a marriage to law. And he says, just as death is the grounds that ends a marriage, so death ends our, our relationship to the law. New realm. And, and so close is the association between Christ and the believer is Paul could say that literally you and I, believer, have been buried with him. Even in verse 8, he says, we died with him. And, and again, this passage, I want to say this real quickly. The baptism is not the theme of this passage. He, he's using baptism as an illustration. Okay, two verses. Paul speaks to baptism in two verses. All the rest of them, he's talking about justification and sanctification. The issue is our justification. In Christ, we have been transferred to a new realm. How then shall we live? Verses, chapters 1 through 4, was all about that justification by grace through faith alone, of not of works. 5 through 8, Paul is talking about how then does a believer live? And we live in light of the newness of life that we have in Christ. We live in light of this new relationship that we have with Christ. And baptism is a picture of dying to that old way of life and being raised in newness of life. It's that picture of 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old things have passed away. Guess what? New things have come. 
Because you're a new creation, this is what Paul is saying, sin ought to be put out of our lives. We ought to hate it. Why? Because it's contradictory to who we are in Christ. And not only is it contradictory, it eats away at that relationship. And, and this is what he says in verse 4. Why all of this was that we, so that we might walk in newness of life. Death had to happen if that was going to happen. Death had to take place if you were going to leave the realm of Adam and be transferred into the realm of Christ. New realm. And what you see on your handout is what Paul is saying is our incorporation. The word there is incorporation into the death of Christ and thus his burial. It marks the end of the old life, the beginning of a new life. And thus we are to walk in this newness of life. We exist under the lordship of Christ as believers. A new kingdom, a new domain, a new realm, however you want to say it. And I struggled this week, with, and I may do it next week, of bringing a, a dry erase board up here to kind of illustrate it, to draw it out. Because, again, my mind works well that way, and I'm visually, if I can see something and listen to it, it's locked in. And I, and I may do that, so next week you may get to see my lack of art abilities. But it, you've got to understand that you existed in the realm of Adam, pre-Christ, and in salvation you have been transferred into a new realm. Literally a new kingdom, if you will. Total new sphere of existence. And again, illustration of this is marriage. In marriage, you take two people who exist in the realm of singleness. And in marriage, they join each other and they become one flesh. They enter a new realm that is called marriage, right? Now, listen, especially wives. The challenge with marriage is that a man marries a wife hoping she'll never change. A woman marries a husband can't wait to change him. So again, there's a new realm in which you exist. Imagine for a second, listen, is it natural that you expect your husband or your spouse to live differently as a married person than they did when they were single? Is that, is that fair to say? Most of the, many of the struggles, again, Many of the, and even, even in this, I am dead to all other women except Karen. That's really what marriage. I died to all other women and am singularly devoted to one. Now, again, my flesh and all that battles that, but that's the position that I exist in as a married person. And, and listen, much of the struggles that we deal with in marriage is a failure to comprehend this. It's trying to, it's trying to bring and enjoy my singleness and bring that into my marriedness, right? It, it's men and women who, who act like they're single when they're married. They live, they want all the benefits of this world, but they want to bring them into this realm. And again, that's a very real, that's a temptation. It is a danger. In my, in my sinfulness, I still battle this flesh. And Paul is saying, by faith, see yourself in a new realm. And live in light of that new realm. And marriage illustrates that. And, and our relationship to Adam is dead. It's dissolved. I, I am in Christ. Now, are there temptations? We'll get into that. Yeah, it's not that I'm perfect. 
It's not that sin no longer is tempting. But we've got to see ourselves in a new realm. We exist, like we said last week. We've been transferred, Colossians 1, 13 and 14, to a new realm. It's like moving from the United States to Spain or whatever, to a whole new existence. You're going to live differently. And until you embrace that, there's going to be troubles. There's going to be a new language, and there's going to be a new culture, and, and all that goes with that. That's, that's sanctification. That's you and I growing up with respects to our salvation, putting on who we actually are, putting on practically who we are positionally in Christ. Learning what it is to walk in this new way of life. And what Paul is getting at is how you've got to see yourself. Just like as a married person. Listen, you can look around and see all your single guys and they're doing whatever they want to do and when they want to do it and how they want to do it. And is it appealing? Yes. Is it attractive? Yes. Here's what you have to say. I'm dead to that. I do not exist in that realm anymore. That's faith. And from regards to sin, we've got to to see ourselves that same way, to, to hate our sin because of how repulsive it is to who we are in Christ. Hate our sin. Why? Because we live in a new realm. And again, we've quoted it, Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He he makes this abundantly clear. We studied Colossians, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We've been rescued from the domain of darkness that is ruled by sin, that is ruled by death. We've been transferred into Christ's kingdom and it's ruled by life and a hatred of sin it's ruled by righteousness and and again the challenge for us is again this is not some mechanical or automatic obedience does sin still remain appealing to you and i yes that's why we have to consider ourselves dead That's why we need to be full of the Spirit so that we can crush sin. So Again, we're going to see it in Romans 8. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5. Live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Why the Spirit in us? And we'll get to this in Romans 8. The the job of the Spirit, again, is to guide and to lead and to walk and interpret the Bible, but also to crush sin. To put sin out of our lives. To convict of it. That's where our power is. That's why Colossians 3 says, let the word of God richly dwell within you. How do we put sin out of our lives? By filling ourselves up with the Spirit, empowering the Spirit to crush sin. That we would grow up in respect to our salvation. Dabbling with sin, dabbling in that old realm, all that does is fuel your flesh. And your flesh ends up reigning your life. Even though you've been transferred to a new realm. You're that married guy still living like a single guy. And think you get away with it. Think you can do it with no ramifications. You you don't automatically just stop sinning as a believer, unfortunately. 
No, nowhere in the Bible does it say that, we, again, we are to pursue perfection. And Paul says it in Philippians, not that I have obtained perfection, but what? I press on. I seek it. Why? Because the sin in his life was contrary to his nature, new nature in Christ. Again, why the commands to flee immorality? Why the commands to flee idolatry? Why, will, why hold Romans 12 through 6? Why the commands? Because this is what we're to put on. Obedience is not automatic. And, and my great fear, again, I, I was talking with this with Karen all week, and that my great fear for us is that most of us are not living Spirit-powered lives. Most of us are getting by on just being quote-unquote good people. And we're mistaking that for real vibrant Christianity. That's my great fear. I'm scared to death for my kids. I'm scared to death for your kids. I'm scared for, for our kids' parents. That they're getting by, that, they're, that we are mistaking Christianity with just avoiding major moral, I didn't kill anybody. Is that really what Christ died for? Most of us in this room probably wouldn't be murderers, statistically speaking. Without Christ. Can we really say that we, we enjoy this newness of life? Or are we just getting by with our kids being good kids? They're not doing it for the glory of the God. They don't consider, they don't consider God in all their decisions. They're, they're doing it because of other reasons, not to the glory of God. They're just good kids. That's not Christianity. That's not the newness of life that Paul has called us to. You're, they're do, if without the word of God, without, without youth group, without grow groups, without other people encouraging, we won't put away sin. That sin is growing and growing and growing in them. Ruling them. And, and you see it on your handout. The reason for these commands is because even though we have been transferred in this new realm, our contact with sin in the flesh and its influence still exists. We, we've grown okay as parents is just getting our kids to pray a prayer, getting our kids to say something, and we think our job is done. And that is so wrong. And the challenge is many of us as parents have bought into that same thing. I prayed a prayer, I did this. And, and we have kids who are trying to be, who need to be raised by parents who are still spiritually kids. Because again, we've propagated a gospel that totally negates the call for sanctification. Totally negates the call for growing up. Totally negates the need for spiritual maturity. I prayed a prayer. My kid gets good grades. My kid stays out of trouble. My kid, that's not Christianity. It's spirit-empowered, spirit-driven, hating sin, putting away sin, living to the glory of our King, living to the glory of one who gave himself up for us. Walking by the Spirit. Listen, that old nature still exists. Even in this realm transfer, that old nature still exists. Bad habits and desires and tendencies and all of those threaten 
our enjoyment. All of those, again, even go back to Galatians, I mean to Genesis 4. Sin, it says, sin is crouching at your door, looking for somebody to devour. Whether it's us as adults or whether it's our kids, we've got we've to seek by the word of God and the power of the Spirit and all that to put the taste of sin out of our lives and out of the, out of the lives of our children to hate it. And, and, and this illustration will help, and this is why I wanted to draw it. Maybe I'll do it next week. Martin Lloyd-Jones has a, an illustration that I think is helpful. And he says, here, here's the illustration. He says, imagine two fields in a countryside. And this, there's one big field, and they're divided down. The field is divided in half by a rock wall. And that rock wall, you can't climb it. You can't scale it on your own. Two fields, rock wall in the middle of it, dividing it. Every person begin this side, let's say that's the median. This side is sin, old nature. This half is new nature. Every single one of us is born into this field, sin. Death reigns, sin reigns. By the grace of God in salvation, he transfers us into this new field. Okay? You once lived in that field, now you live in this field. All right? That field ruled by sin and death, this field is ruled by Christ and righteousness and eternal life. Decisively, you've changed fields, totally new realm in which you exist. Whole new relationship to Christ. The issue is this, I still know what's going on over there. I still recognize the voices that are over there in that field. There's part of my flesh that still enjoys, remembers, partaking in what was going on over there in that field. Maybe a part of my flesh, even early on in Christianity, that maybe wishes I was still over there in that field. And that's the challenge for all of us. Even though we don't live in that realm anymore, even though we don't exist in that realm anymore, even though we don't have to obey anymore, there's part of my flesh that still wants to. That's why sanctification is so important. That's why Romans 5 through 8 is so important. It's to put Satan's voice out of our minds. It's to put the desires of this old field out of our, out of our tastes. It's to develop a hatred for what went on in that old field. Why? Because it's contrary to the new realm and the new king. Does that make sense? And I think if we're honest, that unless we grow up, Unless that spirit is alive and thriving in our lives. Listen, your flesh is not going to defeat your flesh ever. Not consistently. But the spirit will put out the flesh. The spirit will put away flesh. And listen, even, the, even this illustration, I thought about this. So many of us, if this is the wall, here's where most of us want to live. Right on the wall. When holiness, you know what holiness is? Holiness is seeing how far away from the wall I get. And by the very nature of that, think about this. The farther you get from the wall, guess what you don't hear anymore? The voices. Flee. That's growth. That's sanctification. Learning to love the things of God and hate the things that are contrary to God. 
That's the reason we need to grow up. That's what Paul is saying. It's not that I'm sinless all of a sudden. I have the power to defeat sin. I exist in a new realm. But, but I've got to consider myself in my mind. I've got to see myself as existing in this new realm. I do not exist over here any longer. This field has no claim on me any longer as a believer. Therefore, that's why he's going to say in verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't go on presenting the members of your body because you don't, you don't exist in that field anymore. You don't exist in that realm. You see it on your handout. Sanctification is us becoming what we have been declared to be in Christ. It's working out your salvation. It's laying that new self over everything. You know, we, we were having this conversation Friday night at my house about 1 Corinthians 10. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but I will not be mastered by anything. Sanctification is learning to stop asking the question, is it lawful? And you begin to start asking the question, is it profitable? It's growing up. It's not asking the question, it's can I? It's asking the questions in light of who I am in Christ, in light of the realm that I now exist, in light of the fact that I'm a temple of the living God, is it glorious to Christ to do this? Not can I, is it, is it good for the body of Christ to do this? What is the world going to say? Again, we read it in Philippians 2. Stop grumbling and complaining. We, there's a whole, listen, we got our work cut out for us right there. Because all throughout God's people's history, guess what they were renowned for? Grumbling and complaining. It ain't stopped today. And guess what he says? If you would just simply not grumble and complain, you know why he says don't do that? Because you will appear as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. If you just didn't grumble and complain, because think about this. This is a sidebar, but think about this. If my kids, suppose my kids went to school every day and all they did was grumble and complain. And then they said, hey, Johnny, you want to come over to my house this weekend and play? If all they've done is grumble and complain about their parents, what are the chances little Johnny wants to come over? He's like, you don't even want to live with those jokers. Now think about this. When all we as Christians do is grumble and complain... And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, you want to come into my kingdom? Nope. It's that important how we live. That's why we, we read Psalm 126 today, gladness and joy, understanding the kingdom in which we dwell. Understanding that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Neither death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come. No, nothing, nothing, nothing. That's Paul's conclusion here. It, 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 we as believers are to live differently in light of who we are. Not earning your salvation, living in light of it. Paul says in Ephesians 4.1, Therefore I, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, listen to what he says, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. 
Go over to 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding. Again, verse 20. But you did not learn Christ this way if indeed you have heard of him and been taught of him, that in reference to your former manner of life, lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self. Live in light of who you are in Christ. Live in light of what is coming in Christ. I don't need the sin of this world. I don't need the pleasure of this world. I've got pleasures evermore waiting for me. Live in light of that. And what Paul is saying here is there is to be a complete break with the old way of life and a transition into a new life as a believer. You are in a new realm. Walk in light of that realm. And you see it on your handout. What Paul stresses here through the imagery of baptism is a believer's union with Christ. A union with Christ, just like in marriage. What is that, mar- what is that ceremony? That ceremony is a picture. That wedding ceremony is a picture of the union. Two becoming one. Baptism is a picture. I'm not diminishing the role of baptism. But again, it's marked. You're set aside, believer. You're a new, new creation. That baptism pictures that. Again, look at, listen to Galatians 3.27. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You've been joined to Christ. Colossians chapter 2 Verses 12 through 14, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken out of the way and nailed it to the cross. He's saying, believer, live in light of that. Dead to sin. That debt is canceled through Christ. Alive to Christ. And and, and though baptism is not the key to this text, it is important that baptism and faith are always linked in Scripture. You see it on your handout. Faith is always assumed. Faith in Christ is always assumed to lead a person to being baptized. It's faith. Your baptism is expressing your faith in Christ. But baptism always assumes faith is its validity. It's a picture of the conversion. Old to new. Death of something old. Alive to something new. Which would, on a sidebar, beg the question of a believer who hasn't been baptized. And I would say, Paul would say, why not? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, get baptized. As an act of obedience, get baptized. It, that would, it would make no sense to Paul for you not to be baptized. That's why in Scripture they're always connected. But faith is the issue here. 
Just like me, again, considering I still live in this world where all the allurements and all the entrapments and all the temptations and all that is there. But by faith, I say I am dead to that. By faith, I don't live to that. By faith, I'm in a new world and I don't have to obey that. I don't need that. I am fully satisfied in Christ. I am a new creature. Old gone, new come. That's faith. And the stress of Paul in these chapters is faith. It's the result of faith. Believers, you listen. You live in the power and the influence of the resurrection even now. You have resurrection power. It is a done deal. Again, even in Romans 8, we'll get there in 2022. He says, those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. You realize your, your glorification believer is already in the bank. It's not a question. Live in light of that. Live in light of who you are in Christ. Tap into that power that comes through the word to defeat sin. Understand the newness of who you are in Christ. I mean, even Ephesians 2.1, I think about it. And you were dead in your and you were dead in your transgressions and trespa or trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Listen, among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind that were by we were by nature children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love for us, which He has loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, what made us alive together with Christ? By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him, the heavenly places in Christ, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You and I, believer, exist. What God is doing really, really in salvation is restoring his creation, his original creation. And you and I exist to bring glory to our king. We exist as saved individuals, adopted individuals to bring glory to our king. Not to live and enjoy all the allurements of this world. And when we die, just pull out our card and say, oh, by the way, I, I remember what I did in 1996. I'm free. That's not, that's not the point of salvation. It's not so you can get all the things of this world without the penalty of death. It's so that you're now free to live for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You now have the privilege of living for His glory. By the way, Romans 8 says beforehand you were not even able. But you've got to start by seeing yourself. Seeing yourself in this new light. And you see it on your handout. We are commanded to live differently in light of our salvation. That's the point. We're not earning our salvation. We're not paying God back for our salvation. We're living in light of our salvation. And again, I mean, I, I thought about this week, and I, I, must sh I share this not to my own credit, but technically I have Friday and Saturday off. Okay? I, 
as a married, there are, there are millions of things, listen, that my flesh would love to selfishly do on Fridays. You know what I do? I go to lunch with my wife. I go to Sam's and shop for this church and other things with my wife. And I say no to almost, it's very rare on Fridays I will say yes to anything. Why? Because of my wife. I live in light of who I am. I'm not single. And I say no to things that might eat at and fight against the unity of me and my wife. I don't do it to keep her married. I don't do it for, I do it because I am married. I'm making decisions in light of who I am based on our wedding vows. Are there a million, listen, there are a million, there are times where I'm walking up and down the aisle and I know my buddies are golfing. I know my buddies are doing other things. And there's, a, is that still alluring to me? It is. Here's what I've noticed though. 16 years later, it's not as big of a deal as it was the first day. And I've enjoyed to, I've learned to enjoy spending that afternoon, that day with Karen more than the other. I've enjoyed, I learned to enjoy getting a, a pretzel and sushi and a Coke and sharing that for her lunch. And lunch, that's romantic, I get it, but that's our life. I, I enjoy getting a pretzel to go and, and cover Bradley's ears, but taking it to Sarah when I, we pick her up on Friday and she gets in the car and the tradition of there's a, pre, there's a cinnamon pretzel from Sam's waiting on her. I've learned to enjoy the joy of that more than selfishly going golfing. Listen, I'm not perfect at that. But that, that learning, that, that sanctification, guys. And obedience to Christ is no longer a chore, it's a joy. I get to honor Christ. I get to serve Him. I get to come and worship with other believers. I get to study the Bible. I don't have to. I get to. But that flows from rightly grasping the gospel. And, and lastly, again, the power there to, to put those things away. And lastly, what Paul says in verses 5 and 7 is that we've been freed from sin. Freed. Not only do we have the power, not only do we live in a new realm as he starts, not only are we to live in newness of life, we have the freedom to do that. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be with him in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Listen, for he who has died is freed from sin. Before you had to. You don't have to obey sin anymore. You have the power to say no. You've been offered something far greater. You've tasted of something, believer, hopefully far greater. But again, all of this goes back to our identification with Christ. 
Why can we not be okay with sin? Because we have been joined to another. Why is my relationship with another woman so offensive? It's because I've been joined to Karen. You see that? Why is sin so offensive? Because it's spiritual adultery. You've been joined to another. Me finding happiness and satisfaction in some other woman, that's adultery. You find happiness and satisfaction in sin when you have a fountain of everlasting joy in Christ, that's spiritual adultery. And we've got to see it that way. We ought to be separated from our sin as believers, putting it away. And the reason why, it is an ever-present threat. He, Satan prowls around looking for someone to devour. And if he, he, listen, he can't take me out of Christ, but he can certainly through sin make me not enjoy being in Christ. Now, God is faithful if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. But listen, a, a sinning Christian ought to be the most miserable person in all the world. And when I say sinning, I mean just to habitually, willy-nilly casual about your sin. Why? Because it's contrary to your identity in Christ. But not only that, sin doesn't have to be your master any longer. Sin is not your master. We've died to it. We live in a new realm. And you see it on your handout. Both of these are balanced. Seeing ourselves rightly in the realm in which we now dwell flows into how we live. First of all, we've got to see ourselves living, not in sin anymore. We've got to see ourselves living in a new realm. Mentally, we've got to make that transition. That's why I've said before, and you see it on your handout, biblical commands are based upon biblical truths. And this is consistent in Paul's writings. Galatians 1 through 3, then you got 4 through 6. You got Ephesians 1 through 3, what Christ has done. 4 through 6, how you respond. Romans 1 through 11, what Christ has done. 12 through 16, how then shall you live? It's based upon my life. Isn't earning it? It's not paying it back. It's built upon what God has done. Everything flows out of that. Who you are in Christ. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20, Paul explains this very clearly and with a clear illustration. He says again, just like in 1 Corinthians 10, all things are lawful. And he starts off by saying, you know, we were, we were drunkards and thieves and revilers and swindlers. And he says, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord. As such, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but he will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know, there's that phrase again, that your bodies are members of Christ? Again, the union with Christ is the basis. Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Therefore, look what he says in verse 18. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. 
Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Here's the conclusion. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You're not your own, believer. Some 73 times Paul in his writings uses the phrase, in Christ. You exist in Christ as a believer. I remember, and I think I've shared this before, but it's been, we've been here, Lord willing, thank you, or gratefully, eight years. I remember, I may share it again, I remember when I was a kid, and still to this day, my mom is a very, very clean, neat person. Okay? When I, later on, um, there, they had a, a lady that would come in and clean our house every other Thursday, and I remember my mom would spend her night, Wednesday night, cleaning the house because she didn't want the lady who came in to clean our house to think we were slobs, okay? I, th- I made my bed once every two weeks, and it was the morning that the lady was coming to clean the house, and I remember thinking, isn't that kind of what we're paying this person to do? But, but I can remember my mom, I would come home, and my mom would have clean, and I would be filthy, and my mom was like, you ain't coming in like that. Not in my house. You better clean up a little bit. But she would come out and help me clean up. But we, we, I remember as I grew up in Christ thinking, listen, my sin is incongruent with the fact that I've been washed white as snow. That's why James says that sin is a stain. It's like a brand new white shirt and you got spotches all over it. We, we've, got to, we've got to condition ourselves, believer, to see sin as repulsive. It's contrary to who we are in Christ. You see it on your handout. The goal is not self-righteousness. The goal is not so I run around comparing myself to others. The goal is that the recognition of our union with Christ. So we fight sin. That we would not be okay with sin at our schools, at our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, at sporting events, out in the neighborhoods. We've got to learn to see ourselves in Christ. I mean, so I remember growing up, other families would do stuff, and my dad would say, well, you're a Basham, we don't do that. That's the way we need, he was teaching me. We've got to see ourselves in Christ. We've got to see ourselves as new creations. We've got to see ourselves that our old self was crucified in order that our body of sin would be done away with, not in order that we could partake of sin and just not die. Do away with it. And what Paul is saying is, is you see it there, one day we will be united with Christ eternally and fully, And what is he saying? Live in light of that coming reality even today. Live in light of that even today. Fight sin today. Hate your sin today. Why? Because one day you will be perfect. Live in light of that and seek to proceed to that. That's why Paul says, not that I have already obtained it, but I press on. 
One day you will be made perfect, believer. One day this body of sin will be done away with. Live in light of that today. Sanctification is pursuing that which has already been laid hold of for you by Christ. Live in light of that reality. Today. And what Paul says, you see it in your handout, in the way that we previously served and were enslaved to sin, we must now in Christ serve and enslave ourselves to righteousness. And you do this by truly believing what God says about you, who He says you are in Christ. You have been declared righteous. Live in light of that. Dead to old self, alive to Christ, freed from sin, enslaved to God. Our future is guaranteed in Christ through His resurrection. Be assured of this, but live in light of this. The question I would ask is this. Ask yourself, how do you view yourself? Whose life really is your life? Is it yours or is it God's? Is it to be used for your glory or is it to be used, believer, for God's glory? Because how we see ourselves is going to dictate a lot. How do you view your sin? To whom or to what are you truly enslaved? To whom or to what are you really seeking to serve? And I close with this on the handout. The only way to progress, the only way that progress will be made in the Christian life is if we learn to see ourselves as Paul has portrayed us here. You've got to see yourself. You've got to see a big picture of who you are in Christ. And my great fear is most of us don't think about that. Most of us have prayed a prayer, raised a hand, with little consequence of how we live today. Live each day in light of who we are. And if you're not a believer, the beauty and the greatness of the gospel is is today could be the day of salvation for you. In one moment, you can go from enemy to child. In one moment, you can go from condemned to freed. In one moment, you can go your sins are as scarlet, white as snow. In one moment, God says in Psalm 103.12, He will separate your sins as far from the east is from the west if you will repent of your sin and you will believe upon Jesus Christ that His death and resurrection was the satisfactory payment, the propitiation as we saw. And listen, you don't need to walk an aisle to do that. You don't need to raise a hand to do that. Here's what you do. You pray to God and you ask Him to forgive you of your sins and then you come tell me or someone else and we'll help you on that road. But here's the Christian life. It's following When you get up in the morning, Christ is your righteousness. Follow him. When you get up the next day, Christ is your righteousness. Follow him. When you get up the next day, Christ is your righteousness. Follow him. That's Christianity. Connecting that who you are to every single day, every single moment of every day, who you are in Christ. 